This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. Or tweet, teachers, what do you need from administrators? Like right now got international attention. So I got a bunch of people responding. And what was eye-opening about that was just so much of the things in which teachers were asking for are just like basic human rights. Like I want to be able to wear what I want. Like, and my, my feeling about that is Really, that's what we're fighting about. We, we are having people leave the profession and not even join the profession at alarming rates. And, and we're worried about whether or not somebody wore leggings. Like, let, let's be real about this. Please welcome my guest here on the podcast, Big Ideas in Small Windows. I'm so excited to have influencer Erica Garcia, who has already gained another thousand followers since we just recorded less than two weeks ago. If you're one of 22,000 followers, then you've been captured by Erica's one phrase tweet perspectives. Now it's time to hear more in our deeper dive with Principal Garcia in a 30-minute podcast learning about the woman, the leader behind the huge and fast-growing following. Erica was a teacher, literacy coach, and math specialist, instructional coordinator, and is now building principal at Green Trails Elementary in Missouri. She holds two master's degrees and is a doctoral student at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, where her focus is on what else but character education and servant leadership. She's written articles, been highlighted in Education Week and Edutopia, won awards, and is most proud of her relationship with staff and students and her entire school community. Erica is simply an influencer because she's gotten the attention of 22,000 dedicated followers on Twitter. People like me who pay attention because of how she speaks in real, simplistic, and perspective-challenging tweets. She poses comments and questions in a way that provokes our hearts and our minds. You definitely want to follow her at Flying Monkey 13. Please welcome my guest, Erica Garcia. Welcome, Erica Garcia Niles. It is such a pleasure to have you here on my podcast, Big Ideas and Small Windows. And boy, you have such a big idea because you have 21,000 plus followers on Twitter. And not too many people can say that, including myself. And I got to know, what was it that you think started you off, started getting that attention? That's a great question. I ask myself that all the time. So I feel like in terms of who I am on Twitter and when my following started really picking up was when I started journaling a little bit, like my my journey to leadership. I have been an educator for 23 years. And so I have a really strong background in the classroom. And I kept thinking over and over again that I wanted somebody as a leader who really understood what it was like to be a teacher, because I think that that's so important. 
And I kept wishing for that leader and wishing for that leader. And then I was like, shoot, you're going to have to become what you want. And so I started really just kind of journaling my journey. I went, I got a master's in a year in educational administration. And then I just started talking about what I wanted in a leader, what I didn't want in a leader. And I spoke from, you know, my perspective, as opposed to, I know there are certain platforms out there that are telling everybody else how they should be. And I, I can't do that because they are not in my circle of influence. I am. So <laughs> I just started journaling and, and it was really funny because a lot of the things in which I said resonated with people. <laughs> I don't take myself too seriously. And so I think that that helps people because there's a lot of toxic positivity in education. So just the, the real realness, I think is, is probably what draws people. I will also say I'm, there's a lot of people who I will just throw out a random tweet about motherhood sometimes, and sometimes it's about education. So I, I try to really speak to the, the realness that is involved in what we do, because we've got to laugh, because without that, we don't have a whole lot. Yeah, I think what you're describing is you're humanizing yourself to your audience, and they're, connect, they're relating to that. So it's funny, you talked about how there are platforms out there that don't speak to the same tone, and yet you have 21,000 people saying, I get you, I get you, and I want to hear more from you. And I love the way you said that you can't take yourself too seriously. And that is such a critical point, probably more now than ever, with coming out of crazy, uh, unusual circumstances, challenges between the pandemic and the equity issues we're facing in America and so much more. And yet you're saying, look, let's keep it real and let's keep our, let's talk about our priorities. So that that's such a great message. And it really speaks to jumping in and you said you did a master's in a year. So that's fast. I think I did my master's in, in two years. And yet you didn't stop there. You're now on your way to your doctorate. And it's my understanding, right? And yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So why, why stop at the master's? Erica Garcia Niles said, so your focus is on character education and servant leadership, which Sounds like it ties right into what you're saying. Tell us about that, that focus. I'm on to my doctorate, which, you know, I, I guess in my life, what better to do than get a doctorate in the middle of a pandemic while being a first year principal? I like to go big, you know, I have thought about it and I feel like in terms of educators, we can never be good enough or strong enough for kids. And so the more I know, I feel like the better I am for kids. And, the, you know, that's my, my goal is to, to be as good as I can be. And also to model that perseverance that it takes in order to really continue to learn. But I feel like my dissertation started out as character education and servant leadership. And it's funny because I went into this thinking for sure I was going to have that equity lens and that equity piece of character education, because I really do think in some instances, character education can be a, a detour away from equity. If we start focusing on some of those qualities in isolation and don't really talk about what they mean. With that being said, I ended up going in a totally different direction because of my role. So my role obviously changed. I was an instructional coordinator prior to this, and then I moved into the principal role this year. And I started working on more of the equity piece of things. And then I started feeling like it, it was pulling me away. I was doing schoolwork related to my passion. 
and I was getting really burnt out and I don't want to get burnt out from the equity work because I think that that's so important. So I thought, what can, what can I do in order to really like still focus on equity and still focus on the disproportionality of uh, people of color and the way in which they are accessing education, the field of education. And so what it ended up turning into is a dissertation on supporting teachers in a post-pandemic world and what they truly need from administrators in order to stay. And of course, the equity piece of that is that we know that people leaving the field of education and people going into the field of education, there's a lot of disproportionality in, in terms of people of color versus non-people of color. So um, now here I am, which really doesn't necessarily have anything to do with character education and or servant leadership, except for the fact that what we think is going to happen is that the qualities that people define as what they need from an administrator will likely tie into servant leadership. But I'm not there yet. <laughs> it sounds like you're on a, the right path, though. I, I was reading an article that you were quoted in about a lot of this, and you talked about acknowledging the racial characteristics and differences of people that we can't just sit there and say, well, we can all just get along, that that's like a phony way to approach this. And you had a very raw way of saying, hey, we got to acknowledge that A, there are differences and B, that we have the ability to work through those. And I thought that was really powerful. Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I do feel like one of the things that I wanted to do in terms of walking into the principalship was to understand that there's a lot of big feelings in terms of this work, and we know that, and it's a very politicized, unfortunate, you know, place that we are at, but at the same time, regardless of, I'm somebody who grew up that did not feel like school was made for me. I did not feel like I was a good student, or I don't know that I necessarily feel, felt seen as a white presenting Hispanic woman, everybody just sees me as a, a, a white person. They didn't know that I grew up with a lot of trauma. There's a lot of different pieces there. And so in terms of feeling seen, it's something that obviously is really important to me. But the other piece of that is just the fact that we, we do have to acknowledge it. We do have to say that people are different. They need to be able to own those differences and not compromise those differences, but still they have to feel that sense of belonging. And we might not all agree, or we might not all see things the same way, but regardless, like if you are a part of this school community, regardless of who you are, you should not have to compromise to feel like school was designed for you. Yeah, and you talked about your own trauma. I've written a book about trauma, and I tend to think about trauma from the perspective of, okay, it's there, we all have to face it in varying degrees how can we get to the other side of it and experience post-traumatic growth? I think you're a pretty good example of post-traumatic growth. You're in a successful career, you have a family and all of those things. Uh, and you have 21,000 followers, of course. <laughs> so you're able to get a positive message out. And maybe some of that was because of some of the trauma you endured and then got through. That's the key, right? That you were able to endure it. Yes, absolutely. I love that you said that because I feel like one of the things that I've talked about recently is just the idea that people who are still experiencing trauma cannot overcome it. And there's, and we forget that I mean, even where we are in the world right now, we keep wanting to think that we're on the other side of this pandemic, but we're really living still in a lot of active trauma. People are really impacted by this daily. And so in a lot of ways, we're trying to compensate for the fact that we're trying to get over trauma while still being actively involved in trauma. And that's not something that I feel like we can do. So we have to own our reality a little bit to say, yeah, you know, 
this stinks. So now what, you know, like, what can we do right here? And, and that's also a lot where our dissertation came from was we're not post pandemic, we are currently in, in the midst of and so our needs are going to change, you know, students needs change, adults needs change, what is it that they need? And, and it comes down to the, the same two things. And it's the same two things for kids, it's time and trust, you know. Yeah, you talked about that. I asked you in a pre-interview, what are the th big ideas that you have? And you said that's exactly what you went to, time and trust, giving people the time they need and the, and the opportunity to build trust with them. Boy, those are right on the money in terms of being able to feel like that, you know, most of trauma and being inhibited by that is a lack of both. So that's, that's a powerful, just one sentence. And I got to go back to something you said in, in that Ed Week article, because I just, I had to riff on this a little. You said, and I'm going to quote you, if you don't see race, you don't see racism. That is in one, like, I don't know, six or seven word statement. So powerful, so powerful. And I think it's a great way to say, look, you got, we got to acknowledge what we're dealing with. Now let's try to fix it. Just like you talked about with the trauma. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the thing about it is, is that it just keeps boiling down and down to the accurate, precise story of each person, you know, so when we talk about being able to acknowledge that you know, racism is there, we can say, like, I'm here for all kids, I'm here for, you know, all, all teachers, but are you here for each? And if so, you know, you have to make sure that you're acknowledging what is there for each kid. So, you know, looking at each child, telling the accurate and precise story what we don't have sometimes in our own experiences or in our own knowledge base, we will fill with our own bias. And so really making sure that when we're talking about specific things, be it you know, racism, ageism, sexism, whatever the case may be, any ism, that we're working from gaining accurate and precise stories of each and not just looking at that for all piece of things. And I think we have to be able to say that we did our due diligence to, to actually see what is in front of us and know exactly what is in front of us so that we can name it. I say a lot, like we have to own our reality because then we can fight our way to improvement. And that's the same thing is true of racism. You have to be able to see it. You have to be able to name it. You have to be able to acknowledge that it's there. And so that's, that's a, a huge, a huge thing with me. So I, re I remember saying that, and I still, I still stand to that pretty, pretty good is that, you know, yeah, it's there. And you have to see it because we have to be able to heal and, and, and move on. And doesn't it help us li liberate ourselves from that unconscious bias? It, it, it helps us open our eyes and helps us open our teacher's eyes who unintentionally may not realize the power of that negative influence they have. And it's almost shameful for many to acknowledge. But I think once they hear, look, this is what we're dealing with. And if you could be, and you can work on that trust and time you talked about, I think we could start to unpeel some of those challenges. That trust is huge. You know, you, that trust, that trust is really big. I, and I think that that is something that really we've seen over the past couple of years, because a lot of the work, when people really started to dive into equity work um, and really start to kind of dig into this, unfortunately, we were on screens. We weren't, we weren't in the same room together. And so you're having these conversations that are really important, meaningful, necessary, but they're happening when we're not in the room physically in the space. And so 
now that we're getting to be back into the space and able to have those conversations, that idea of trust has to be there because we're going to fail in this work. We are, we're going to fail as educators. We're going to make mistakes. And, you know, the biggest part of that is, you know, do we care enough? Are we motivated enough to take the mistakes, pick them up and move on for the, for, for the sake of kids? Um, and that will only happen in a place in which that, that trust exists. And also in a place in which, you know, the time exists in which to do the work that lights our, our soul on fire, if you will. I'm going to come back to the Edutopia article because there was another great thing that that happened in there. So the Ed Week article was the one about if if you don't see race, you don't see racism. Yeah. And a lot of people will say to us, but I don't have time. You talk about time and I don't have time. Right. What is your answer to that? I, again, you know, you look at it and I'm like, what's within my sphere of influence? Right. And so part of becoming an educator and being a principal was, I know there's not time. I, there is nothing harder, in my opinion, than being a teacher. My job is, there's a lot, it's busy. I'm very busy, but it is not as hard as sitting in front of 24 students and trying to figure out the accurate and precise story of each in order to be able to educate all of them. And so, in stepping into education and stepping into a, a leader role, part of that was how do I create time for teachers? So I think that a lot of that is there's so many things that we can do more efficiently. Um, you know, there are a lot of meetings that really truly could be emails. And so that's what I, one of the things in which I really try to do is ask myself with every correspondence, can this be an email? And most of the time the answer is yes then that allows me some PD time or some meeting time in order to give time back to teachers to really go down a personalized professional learning path. And that's one of the ways in which you get teachers invested is you start to build that collective mission and vision around, you know, like right now we're really working in our building on belonging and making sure that every single person feels like we belong no matter who we are. And so we are working on that and we're building it so big that as people go down the path of trying to figure out how that happens, their professional learning goals all relate to that. They relate to it differently, but now you have time in which to explore a little bit of the things in which, again, make your heart sing, you know, the hills that you will die on, if you will. But I, I think that I have to get creative. You know, there's a lot of things in which I want to do as an administrator, but when I put myself into the shoes of teachers, which I feel like I try to do very consistently, I know that my growth as a teacher comes when I have the permission to really go down a path in which I'm interested in, in which, you know, I'm passionate about. And as long as it falls under the umbrella of something that we collectively believe, then we should be happy that we're moving forward. So, you have to get creative in that time, that time piece. And, and the trust piece is again, just kind of, I trust you, you know, do right by kids. And, and that's, that's the thing that we don't compromise. Yeah. Your comment about like faculty meetings versus emails. It made me think of a statement, which I've heard before, which is every faculty meeting should be about professional development. And so you eliminate yeah. some of those things that can just be in, informed outside of real qualitative time together the teachers get to experience and then they feel empowered so i think that's part that's synergistically like part of this cycle of trust absolutely yeah yeah so we have we don't have faculty meetings we have toolkits so once a month we have tuesday toolkits and they know that they're going to be about professional 
professional learning. And it's just part of our culture. I did have a faculty resource council where I would bring in information, but I have found that one of the ways that I gather the most information is if I tell them that I will cancel the meeting if I can get so much participation in a survey of which I really want feedback, I will get 80%, 90% feedback and we don't have to have a meeting. So that's my little, my little time-saving trick is that if you say, hey, if you just answer this one question, we don't have to have a meeting, everybody will do it. <laughs> Great idea, because you're, you're getting your time of your feedback and they're saying, they're feeling like, well, I just saved that time in the day, because I assume this is after school. Yeah, yes. If it's before school, that's not so bad unless you're not a morning person. But after school, it's often a time when our circadian rhythm is at its lowest point in the day. And what do we do? We throw teachers into a faculty meeting in an auditorium where they might as well just be half asleep in grading papers unless we're doing something qualitative. So that's that's great news. So I want to go back to a tweet that relates to the Edutopia article. Your tweet, teachers, what do you need from administrators like right now? got international attention. It got international attention and it made the most read article in Edutopia. How did that impact your future work and efforts? So actually that started the um, decision and that started kind of the path of my dissertation. So um, I was not on that path at the time. I was actually looking into a character education model. And then all of a sudden I put that out because that was me. That was me wanting to know, not for anything else other than I worry sometimes that, you know, like my teachers, they have to face me every single day. Now, I am a very, like, I am a non-positional power sort of person. I know that that does not surprise you. So I don't think that any teacher would ever hesitate coming and talking to me. I'm very real. Um, But I do want to make sure that I am not, they're not just telling me what I want to hear or, or telling me, you know, because they, they essentially, I'm their evaluator, regardless of, you know, like if we see it that way or not. So really, I was just wanting to know, how do I become the best administrator for teachers? And so I put that tweet out there really as just like my own wanting to be better. How do I become the administrator that teachers need? And getting honest and real feedback from people who, you know, don't necessarily have to, you know, answer to me. I say like I was about to put my air quotes up and nobody can see them. However, <laughs> because, you know, again, positional power is just not my thing. And and so I got a bunch of people responding. And what was eye-opening about that was just so much of the things in which teachers were asking for are just like basic human rights. Like I want to be able to wear what I want. Like, and my, my feeling about that is really, that's what we're fighting about. We, we are having people leave the profession and not even join the profession at alarming rates. And, and we're worried about whether or not somebody wore leggings, like let's be real about this. So, so, you know, my philosophy is where what makes you happy every single day, where what's going to make you feel the best so that you can serve kids. I don't care. I don't pay attention. I pay attention to the way you treat people, the way in which you interact with students. But there were some other things that, you know, they talked about that really kind of changed my practice. A lot of people talking about time. I'm one of those people that, you know, like let's bring food. (laughs) Maybe it's like, (laughs) you know, growing up in a in a Jewish home, like that's, that's what you do. You, you bring food. Yeah. Um, but um, so that's part of me just sitting there thinking, you know, that is one thing, but that's mitigating, but transformative. Like when we look at that, what is transformative is really thinking about how I can give teachers time. So 
my assistant principal and I, and like just a total servant leader. He is like the epitome of a servant leader. We're like, okay, so what can we do? So we started actually working in these breaks for teachers so that we would give, we would bring the food, but then we would also give the teacher the half an hour release time that we would go cover their classes, do an activity with the kids. And then the teachers could go enjoy, you know, the food that they don't ever have time to eat. And that has been really, really popular, but it's just little things like that, that I learned that have helped change my practice that I hope other leaders kind of took a look at and thought, yeah, you know, there are some simple things. And yes, does that mean I bring home a lot of paperwork? Absolutely, you know, but somebody once said on Twitter, and I wish I knew who it was, but said this quote, it was people by day, paperwork by night. And I'm like, yes, that is who I am. And, and so I work a lot in the evenings to get the paperwork done, but that allows me the opportunity to spend time with people. And when I read through that article, that that's what teachers need. They need somebody who's going to be present, that's going to work to find, again, that time and trust. Yeah, I love the way you talked about the dress code thing, because I saw a tweet from you, and I don't know if it was recent or it just got retweeted, and it was it was that premise, which is we, we see this decline, you talked about the proportions earlier, and so we see this huge decline in teachers coming into the profession and many leaving, and yet we're worried about genes, <laughs> like let's put it all in perspective, like that's how you write, and it just puts it all in perspective. I can remember a time in my school years ago, so it's safe to talk about this now, I had a parent who wanted to, wanted to thank the teachers and she had a professional massage business and she just wanted to come in and do like those chair massages. And it was this big hoopla that I got called from, I don't know if it was the superintendent or somebody and said, you know, this is not a good idea. This is bad PR. Everybody's going to think the teachers are just sitting around spoiled. And so again, I think a little thing for five minutes and, and someone's offering this, not like we're it's not like we're using school funds for this, but that's right. how absurd some of that gets. And, and I think that your way of laying that out just bring, brings it to bear so concretely. In your tweets, we're getting to know about you. And of course, my, your audience, my audience is getting to see Erica Garcia Niles or hear Erica Garcia Niles. You, call, you are a self-professed spitfire. Can you expand on that? Well, I think that is really funny that that's what you are bringing up right now. I am, first of all, I'm very, I'm a a small person. So I'm, I, so I think I I say petite spitfire because I'm five foot two, but I have a really big personality. And a lot of people would say, oh, you're an extrovert. I am absolutely not an extrovert, but I am so energized by the work that I do. So you will just in the mornings when I get to school, especially Monday mornings, I do try and pay attention to who my audience is because, you know, I know not everybody is a Monday morning person, but I get up at 5 a.m. I am so, I, you know, I go, I work out. A lot of times I'll network with one of my principal friends in the morning and we'll run. But, um, and then I am just so loaded with energy and I will dance and I run my mouth and I definitely humor is a big thing for me so like I I will say that a lot of times I will get people to do things by running my mouth so I I will um recess duty for example a lot of times like I will frame it as like this opportunity for you know getting some fresh air or you know like an opportunity to take a trip to nature And so people will just kind of like, they'll open the email because they're interested in the experience and then realize that I'm asking them to do recess duty, but it works and people laugh. I have always been somebody, my dad, my dad owns a business actually. And he 
told me one time, he's like, Erica, you would be so good at sales. He's like, you would be amazing. He's like, 90% of you would be amazing. The other 10% would be such a liability, which is your mouth, that honestly, like, it's not, it's not worth the risk. The benefit is not worth the risk. And he's probably right. However, I've learned a filter over time. And so the things in which I tweet are a lot of times the toned down version of what I'm really thinking <laughs> because I am a professional, of course. I just, I just have a lot of energy and I've just realized a lot the way in which I can spend my energy in doing right by kids and doing right by teachers and doing right by our community. But I also have this very, very witty side to me that you probably don't get as much on on Twitter because again, professional, but if you know me in real life, uh, you're just kind of like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. So. That's, we're getting the real life version now. Yes. And yes. that's great because I think, I imagine walking into your school and feeling this, you know how people say you walk into school and you can feel the energy or the tone right away, whether that's a positive vibe or a negative. I just yes. have this feeling that if I ever get to come into your school someday, halfway across the US for me, because I'm on the East Coast, <laughs> but you never know that I'm going to come in and just feel this vibrancy. And then all of a sudden hear you running down the hall and say, who is that little woman running down the hall? <laughs> and, and, and that's Erica Garcia Niles. So, well, that's, that's great because I think it's, we need more leaders like you in the field, energizing, equalizing, putting things in perspective, driving the train and saying, we can do this. It's a refreshing retort to some of the challenges that we hear in education and in general today. So I, I want to thank you for being such a positive contributor in that regard. Thank you. I, you know, I will say that this is my 23rd year in education. I know I said that, and I spent a long time as a teacher and a coach and just different roles. And I will tell you that this has been my favorite year of education. And I think that says a lot because of where we are, but so much of that is is about the way in which I think we frame things, you know, like I get to do this. And I, I think about that a lot. Uh, I, I get, I get the opportunity to be a leader in a school that is honestly like, I, I'm the luckiest person in the entire world. I, I inherited this amazing school and luckily they accept me and love me for, you know, who I am. And I appreciate that. But I, everything that we do when we see it as opportunity as opposed to a barrier does become in fact that we can either say hey we're going to get kids or, or I have to do bus duty or I can say I get to be the last face that the kids see when they go home today or like I get to be the first person that students see in the morning and and it does it makes a difference and it sounds like very poly, Pollyanna-y if you will but it, it's it's the truth when we look for the good the good is there. I get to versus I have to. It really is a different mindset that gives the power back to ourselves to make a difference. Right. Is there anything else I didn't think to ask you that you would like to share? In terms of learning who I am, you got a, a pretty good, good picture. I mean, I, I would say that one of the things that sticks with me about becoming a leader is just advice that I was given at one point where somebody said, because it said to me, leave the classroom before you're ready. And that was the best advice I had ever received because if you told me tomorrow that I was going to teach kindergarten, I would ask you where my classroom was. Like, I feel like in terms of what I've done as a leader is 
I've held on to the joy of what it means to be an educator. And I always want to be able to do that. And I do think I, because I left before I was ready in some ways, that made all the difference. So that is my advice. Um, take it for, it's not even my advice. Actually, I borrowed it from somebody who inspired me. I, I just think that that's really important. I think the thing is, is that as leaders, one of the things that we have to remember, and part of the reason why that message is so important is because as leaders, I think it's so important that we continue to put ourselves in the positions of teachers and to think like teachers and to acknowledge that this is really, really hard work. It is, it's the same thing with, you know, the anti-racist work that we're doing, really, really, really hard work, but it's the right work and we have to stay the course and stay on the path and you have to keep your passion for it, even in the face of opposition. So, so much great and energizing advice. Thank you. Erica Garcia Niles is uh, people can find you at Flying Monkey 13, the number 13. Anywhere that's else? That's really it. So that's really yeah. it. Only, only a, a small city of 21,000 people are following you <laughs> there. I, I right? can't explain it. And probably more after it. this. Yes. My pleasure. So. Wow, what a great interview with Erica Garcia, influencer on Twitter with. 22,000 followers. If you're not one of those 22,000 followers, I simply ask you why. You definitely want to follow her at FlyingMonkey13. And stay tuned for next week's episode. We got another great one coming. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.